It's good to have a dealer. The book, the it book, is book good dealer. To, that's what we called her. She was our dealer. <laughs> she was our book dealer. Hey there, readers. This is Cal Spivey, and you're listening to Another Read Through, a podcast brought to you by the queer-owned independent bookstore of the same name in Portland, Oregon. For our first episode, I am thrilled to introduce Elisa Sapphire, owner of the store, recommender-in-chief, and one of the honest-to-God nicest people I have ever known. I interviewed her back in August of 2017, when this podcast was just a little seed of possibility about how she got started and what she loves most about Another Read Through. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So, I've been a book lover for as long as I can remember which is a little bit strange just because I came from a family of non-readers, mm. believe it or not. I always connected with with books as and characters in books as a way to learn about other people and places and things and just experience all these different emotions and lives that I was not experiencing in my privileged suburban <laughs> upbringing. And yeah. I, I just, I read everything and that just grew as I did. I just read a lot as a kid. I, I learned that the White Oak Library had a limit for the number of books that you could take out because I reached it and it was a hundred and I was still trying to take out more. Wow. A hundred at one time? Uh, Yeah, one time. At one time. I liked to have an array to choose from. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, you know, kids books, I was reading, you know, I could read a few a day. Sure. Yeah. What if you can't go to the library in two weeks? You got to have a lot. Exactly. Big stacks by my bed. Yeah. My friends and I did that with the manga, the Japanese manga. You go through those really fast. They are so fast. So my, my one friend was our supplier. So she would come (laughs) with like a backpack for school and a backpack with manga. (laughs) She had them all. And so she supplied all of us. It's good to have a dealer. It is good to have That's what we called her. She was our dealer. (laughs) She was our book dealer. I feel you on that. My first job ever was at a library. I've worked in a handful of used bookstores, and I've just always known that eventually in my life I wanted to have a bookstore. Mm -hmm. I've had many jobs, many careers in my life, for my age anyway. (laughs) And and the last job that I had was doing pretty hardcore, intense social justice stuff that felt like it was killing me, which was not actually hyperbolic to say. It was really quite hard and awful. And I decided that I needed to do something that filled me instead of emptied me Mm -hmm. every day. And I thought, I'm going to do this now because I don't know what it's going to be like in 20, 30 years. And I want to do something that I know I'm going to like to do. Mm -hmm. So that was about seven years ago. Why used books? Did you have a a rationale for that? I always bought used books. I would support certain authors, buy them new because I knew that that helped them. But generally speaking, I bought too many books to be able to afford (laughs) buying them new in general. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to focus sort of more on quantity. Like I wanted people to have access to more books if they weren't able to buy a whole lot of new books. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of places you can buy new books. I wanted books to be affordable. I think that a $30 hardback or a $16 paperback is a completely reasonable price for what's offered Mm -hmm. and for the value you get from it. But I know that a lot of people can't actually do that, at least not in, in mass, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I wanted, I want people to be able to read. I want people to have books. I want people to be able to come in and spend $3 or $6 and leave with something that they can have that'll give them hours of entertainment that's not terribly expensive and that lasts them. Yeah. So I think books are too important and I wanted people to have access to them. That is really admirable, and I totally agree. As somebody who usually can't buy a lot of brand new books, I'm definitely happy that places like Another Read Through exist. 
For those who have never been in the store before, uh, we have a big tree in the middle of it that you can actually sit in to read. You had that custom built for the store, didn't you? I did. I actually had that tree built before I even had bookshelves built. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, I needed bookshelves and intended to have bookshelves. Right, right. my vision was always to have a tree in the store. So I grew up in Maryland, close to DC. But Represent, yeah. Yeah, but the suburbs for sure. <laughs> and we had a, a house with a front lawn with a really excellent climbing tree. I love nature and I love books. And <laughs> reading in a tree is like this magical combination mm-hmm. of both. And I used to climb a lot of trees as a kid. And there was that one tree in our front yard that was the perfect climbing tree. And it also had a nice little seat that you could sit in with a book. Mm. And you were covered with leaves and it was just just beautiful. And I loved reading in a tree as a kid. And so I thought that it would be really nice to have a reading tree and can't climb the branches here, but right, you can right. still sit in a tree and, and have a have a little read. That's awesome. Yeah. I've, uh, I've worked here for two years and I <laughs> did not know that. So thank you podcast for giving me the opportunity to learn that. We had a, a tree like that at my, my dad's place. It was a giant willow next to a little creek. And oh, I didn't have the creek. That's yeah. nice. Good addition. It was Well, I mean, it wasn't like a very happy creek. It was just like a little... Still water. Mud. But it was cool. It was cool. And the um, tree was giant and it was it was awesome to just lay under. We didn't have like a little seat in the tree, but you just like lay on your back. And yeah, that's was, good too. It was great. So another read-through has become a place where a lot of independent local authors have their first and sometimes their only readings. Uh, When you started the business, did you plan on having such a focus on local authors? I did not. I have to admit that when I started the shop, I, I started it purely as a reader, as someone who loves books and wants to recommend books to people and put books in people's hands. And I didn't really know how deep our local author scene goes, Mm -hmm. how talented it is. I really just had no idea. I couldn't tell you where any authors that I know are from, or I I couldn't five years ago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I have a better idea now. I think I probably could have told you that Margaret Atwood is Toronto and Toni Morrison is Lorraine, Ohio, <laughs> and Stephen King is Bangor, Maine. And that well, might... you can't really read Stephen King without figuring that <laughs> this out. This is true. So... <laughs> but that's probably it. I probably couldn't have named any other location for any other author. So I didn't know who we even had here in Portland, and I, I certainly didn't know truly how deep the talent runs here. Mm-hmm. So no, I had no intention of, of having a local author shelf at all. Once I was open for a couple of months, I had a few different authors pop in and ask if they could put their books here, and I had to think about how that was had to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said no at first because I didn't know how to do it because we were 100% used at the time. Right, right. And once I figured out how to make that happen and learned what the standard is for consignment and how to do, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to buy new books. I didn't, I did not come into this knowing anything about the book business. I came into this knowing about reading mm-hmm. and how much I love books. So once I started that, I realized what an opportunity it was for people who were telling me that they couldn't get their books in other places. Initially, there were a lot of people who were self-publishing on CreateSpace through Amazon. And there are a lot of stores that won't let them on the shelf because mm-hmm. it's a Amazon subsidiary, and they don't want to support that. And while I don't want to support Amazon, I do want to support authors who don't have other options. Pretty quickly became clear that I wanted to be a place that authors had an outlet. And then it just sort of grew from there. I know a lot of people appreciate it and this store for those opportunities. I'm not a fan of Amazon. I don't like what they do for the book industry. I don't feel like they actually like the book industry. I feel like they don't care about books or about literature or about authors or about publishing. They only care about making money off of it. They don't care about it itself. So I'm not a fan of them. I don't like what they do, but they do give an 
opportunity to people who who have talent or who have a dream mm-hmm. it allows it to happen and I don't I don't want to make a blanket statement and say that just because you've gone that route mm-hmm. when it was your only option or the one that you knew or the one that you had access to that was easiest or that was most accessible or whatever I don't want to say just because you've gone that way that you don't deserve to have your book here it's definitely a double-edged sword for us for booksellers and for authors because a lot of us are aware of how Amazon is not in the book industry for the same reasons most of us are. Exactly. Philanthropy is a core part of Another Read Through's mission. So can you tell us why giving back is important to you as a business owner? Yeah, I would say it's not important to me as a business owner. It's important to me as a person. Mm. All the work that I was doing when I said I had a really tough job before this, it was doing social justice work. It was I've worked for nonprofits for pretty much my entire working life. I started this business at the same time as I had a kid. The two of those things together are hard to juggle, and I knew I wouldn't have a whole lot of extra time. Mm-hmm. So I've always volunteered my whole life I've just I volunteered places and I I have not been able to do that since having a kid in a store yeah but I don't want to stop giving back I don't I really would like to continue volunteering but I can't so what I want to do instead as I can is at least contribute to the community we're not profitable yet and so I can't be donating I would like to be donating money every month every quarter to certain organizations um, around town in the meantime we're doing the Randall donations it's probably actually not a good business decision (laughs) to, (laughs) to do this but it's important to me personally to give back to community and to be a part of helping people and yeah yeah I know we we like having the Randall donation set up so we have several books down there that you can purchase for a child at Randall Hospital they get to keep the book it doesn't go to the hospital it actually goes to them and it's really really cool and a lot of people do it yeah a lot of people are happy to we donate about five times a year and we do so we do a rotation of books. Right now we're collecting for Halloween because we just did our summertime books drop. Um, Halloween year round. That's my that's my <laughs> thing. So. If only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've probably donated a couple thousand books already. Nice. Yeah. Another read through has two long running book groups, Mystery and Lesbian Literature, respectively, and is launching a third for science fiction and fantasy. You yourself have been a member of book groups since way before the store opened. What, in your opinion, makes a good book group. I have been in book groups, I think it's probably only been 15 years or so since my first book group. Only. <laughs> I started it, I worked at the Chicago Rape Crisis Hotline, and we did a staff book group, and it was a feminist book group, and it was awesome. Ever since then, I've been in at least one book group, often two or three at a time. I think that people being honest, but also respectful. I think if everyone agrees, then it doesn't make for a really good discussion. So it's nice when there's a lot of differing viewpoints, but people are not, uh, what's the word? Respectful is the word. <laughs> yeah, they're not uh, ranting or just... Yeah, or, or not insulting someone who likes something that they don't like, mm, or mm-hmm. the way something's written, or the topic, or you're, if you don't like the book, then not insulting the author, but what about the writing or the story or the pacing or the whatever that you don't like? I don't even think you have to be that thoughtful about <laughs> about reading. Like, there's, there's a lot of different levels that people read at, and mm-hmm. I think that that's fine. And if someone's reading really deeply and someone else in the group is reading just surface level, do I like the way it sounds or do I like the story? I think that's also a good contribution to a book group, as long as people are willing to listen to each other and willing to think and just respectful. I used to try to start book groups when uh, before I moved to Portland, and... I think the one I had that was the most successful, by which I mean we met three or four times, I think, (laughs) before it petered out, um, was a book-to-movie group where we would read the book and then we would watch a movie that was supposedly based on the book. I say supposedly because one of these examples was... 
We read Neuromancer by William Gibson, and we watched The Matrix, which somebody had told me was based on Neuromancer. This loosely, is false. Loosely, 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 this is, if at all. It's like they they both use the word matrix, <laughs> and they both have this like concept of jacking in, which they use differently. There were people in both. There were people. There, there definitely were people. Yeah, so that was a, an interesting discussion where we were like, wait a minute, where are the... Where are the parallels here? I don't actually (laughs) know. But that was kind of a fun group. And that's something I wouldn't mind bringing back uh, at some point. And maybe in the science fiction fantasy group, I'll be running through the store here. We will be able to do that because sci-fi fantasy is widely adapted. Definitely. (laughs) So It's probably one of the more popular adaptations, actually, right? Yeah, I think so. I'm that jerk in book group that historically has been like, why are we not talking about the book? All I want to do is talk about the book. I come here to talk about the book. Mm-hmm. I'm cool with snacks and drinks, but cut out the social hour. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel the same way. Um, I mean, book groups are great for hanging out with your friends totally. and for making friends. Um, the other book group I've been in, which I was not like responsible for, um, and which I have been on a long hiatus from, uh, is one that I joined shortly after moving to Portland that we called uh, Readers Not Breeders. <laughs> Because it was me and a, a bunch of uh, lesbian and queer women, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. And we read so many books that I would never have picked up myself. Um, we had a wide range of readers, people who were like me, who majored in English in college. Um, the woman who organized a lot of it, it teaches English at a high school in uh, Oregon. But then we also had people who read mostly nonfiction off the New York Times bestseller list, people People who um, hear about books when they reach that high tier of saturation uh, and that's what they read. I've never been that person. (laughs) I get my book recommendations almost exclusively from friends and Twitter. (laughs) So um, it was really, really cool to have that exposure to a bunch of other books and a bunch of other um, modes of reading. That's what I think the value of one of the main values of book clubs is that either it's books that you want to read anyway, but then you get to talk about it with Mm -hmm. somebody, which is, I think, more fun. And then conversely, it's maybe books that you would never read. And that's what I personally really, really love about book group. So I'm in three book groups, three long standing book groups right now. The mystery book group for here at the shop, we've been going for two and a half years. The lesbian lit book group at the shop, we've been going almost three years. And a general literature book group that I joined before even, it was the first thing I did when I moved to Portland 10 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I had a book group before we even had our furniture delivered. (laughs) In Um, case you were wondering who Elisa is as a person. (laughs) Exactly. In each of those groups, we read books that I almost would never pick up on my own. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a real value. It's it's exposed me to stuff, a lot of it that I have not liked, and a lot of it that I've loved. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that's just really special. I have also found that there are books that I don't like when I read them on my own, but the discussion... Uh, really helps me discover things about it that I I like. Conversely, too, there have been books that I read in a single night. Like I just read right right through them and I couldn't stop reading them. And then I go online and I see people talking about the same book and being like, oh, it has this major issue (laughs) or like, this is actually really bad. And, And that's valuable too. Definitely. I'm not the kind of person I would never go back and like change a rating. Yeah. If I had given one... I always appreciate having those other perspectives 
Well, I'll say that this, just to reiterate what you're saying, I totally agree. I, I really actually enjoy coming to book groups when I dislike a, a book because I almost invariably leave with, if not a better feeling about it, at least more appreciation of certain aspects of it. And sometimes I'm nervous going into a book group when I really love the book because of what you're just saying. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want that to be taken away, even though it's valuable when it when, yeah. it's, when it's shown to you. Yep, that can be that can be hard. And mostly, I just think even if even if you're not necessarily swayed by what other people are saying about the book, sometimes just talking about it opens things up for yourself. Like even if you're just trying to find things to say, um, like this example is not a book. Well, it is, but I watched the movie. <laughs> it was uh, No Country for Old Men, mm-hmm. but I happened to have screenwriting the next day, and we were talking about the particular arc in these kinds of mystery police sort of stories. I could not stop talking about this movie that I thought I hated. I watched it with my boyfriend at the time, and I was like, this movie fucking sucks. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> I ah, this is gross. I hate this. And then the next day in class, every time I raised my hand, I was like, oh, well, this movie did it. This movie did. And then I walked out of the class going, shit. (laughs) That was a phenomenal movie. Yeah, book group does that. Yeah. And it was just like me having to sit and think about it, which I think is a a great thing that book groups do is it just gives you a space to just sit and kind of think about yourself and a story and how you relate to a story and how other people relate to a story. And I like stories. I totally agree. Yeah, I think it gives you an excuse to sit with that character or that arc or that writer for more time than maybe you would give it after you finish reading a book mm-hmm. and you just get to go deeper. And it's, yeah. I love it. I think it's, it's I super, it. super valuable because a lot of the time I'm like, I'm a very fast reader. And especially when I'm really engrossed, I just kind of like, I just finished reading the song of Achilles by Madeline Miller, I think, which was amazing, but I did not spend as long with the last third of the book as I wanted to. Um, like I know already that it's going to be one I want to reread because I was just so like, I make this this motion toward my chest of just like overflowing with feelings. Yes. And uh, so I, I read it really, really fast. And I almost wish that I had a book group that I could go to totally. and just be like, I need to talk about this. And of course, we also all relate to books with our own personal experience, mm-hmm. right? So if you have a book group of 10 people, everyone brings in their own 10 different experiences. And so you all read a book differently. Mm -hmm. I mean, no one reads the same book twice, right? Yeah. It's the same thing. No one reads the same book. Everyone comes into it with a completely different experience and different interpretation. And it's also just always really interesting, I think, to see how different someone can read the exact same book that you just read and Mm -hmm. feel totally differently about it and totally valid. Mm -hmm. And there's something really beautiful about it. Yeah. I love love book group. Yep. (laughs) I I always uh, try to remind myself that if you didn't like a book or if you're an author, if someone didn't like your book, then it wasn't written for them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't written for you if you didn't like. And that's helpful <laughs> when you are experiencing the book community, especially online, uh, because it is real subjective. Like mm-hmm. people are going to have polarized opinions about books a lot of the time. And usually it's for totally subjective reasons. Book group feels like a safe space to uh, experience that. Totally. So now we're going to do a lightning round, which is where I'm going to ask... <laughs> Simple questions, hopefully, that uh, you will answer as quickly as you can. Okay. All right. I'm ready. First question. Have you figured out which Stephen King book I should start with yet? (laughs) Okay. So, yes and no. (laughs) First, I'm going to explain. I have a Stephen King theory. I think that if people are given the right Stephen King recommendation and then the correct follow-up, 
that everybody would get hooked on Stephen King because he's such a good writer. <laughs> so that said, I was trying to think of, I think like that you would appreciate, he does sometimes have like supernatural elements in his stories. I think you would like strong character, solid story, and then some supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm between like seven. <laughs> <laughs> Between like seven. <laughs> I think, okay. I think probably the right book to start you on is it's either The Long Walk or The Green Mile. I'm not sure which one. The Long Walk, as Richard Bachman, he wrote a compilation for novellas into a giant book. Each were later published on their own because they really are long enough to be their own books. Mm-hmm. And The Long Walk is in there. So it's a novella slash novel. And then The Green Mile, I think, is also a really nice choice for you. I think that once you get in, so maybe the third one, Thinner or The Shining. Mm-hmm. And then I think... The Talisman is actually really, really good for you, but it's not a problem-free book, Uh but I think you'd really like what he's doing, but I think you'll also see the problems and not really love it for that. Okay. But I think that the idea of The Talisman is is the right book, but you need to get to it through (laughs) a couple other ones first, I think. Okay. So I have a a Stephen King journey to go on. (laughs) I think so. All right. Cool. Thank you. (laughs) What are your three favorite genres to read? So literary fiction is my top one. I have a favorite subgenre of literary fiction. That counts. So suburban malaise. (laughs) (laughs) I just really love like Revolutionary Road is Mm. is my number one. Like little children, Tom Parada kind of. It's on my list. It's so good. Yeah. So good. I need to read it. The whole like evaluating your life and being unhappy with it Mm. thing. Mm -hmm. Revolutionary Road is is the prime example of suburban malaise for me. I I love that book and I love that subgenre. Mm-hmm. Okay, so literary fiction, suburban malaise, suburban malaise. I think psychological thriller. So, so in the end, what this is is, I, I really like character stories. Mm-hmm. I like I'll read a story about anyone doing anything if it's got really good characterization. Those three for me are are really good at that. Yeah. So I think that that's why I, I like them so much because I really will read anything if it's if it's got good strong characterization and depth of characterization mm-hmm. cool. which is also why i love stephen king he, <laughs> he does characterization and i i don't say this hyperbolically better than he doesn't do it all the time but when he does it he does it better than any other writer living or dead strong words right mm-hmm. <laughs> tea or coffee tea until five years ago and then coffee did portland convert you or having a child who didn't, <laughs> who didn't sleep converted me it became a necessity. Oh, man. Yeah, he really didn't sleep for the first three years of his life. Oh. We made it through six months of not sleeping, and then we did sleep training, and he started to sleep like, um, uh, just a little bit more. <laughs> and we realized, like, this is never going to be okay. We are never going to be awake again, so oh. coffee from when he was six months old. That is really, oh, well, here's hoping he makes up for it <laughs> as a teenager. <laughs> we talk all the time about how it's hard to imagine that in 10 years, he's we're going to have to be asking him to get out of bed. It's, it, it doesn't make any sense to us because he does not sleep. Well, I promise it happens because that's exactly what happened with my brother. I can't wait. Yeah. How do you like your books? Print, digital, or audio? Only print. Only print. I've never listened to an audiobook and I've never read a digital book. Can't do it. You need something in your hand, something tactile, or, or is it uh, a moral opposition? <laughs> <laughs> I think initially it probably was a moral opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, but truthfully, I am too distracted. If I'm reading on a screen, I'm okay reading articles that way. But I, I see that I'm distracted and I it takes me a long time to read anything on a screen. I've read articles about how you read differently. And I mm-hmm. believe it because I, I have a terrible memory anyway and I retain nothing if I read it on a screen and as far as audio goes I would love that option I just I know that I would miss half of it I listen to NPR almost exclusively when I drive and there'll be some stories on NPR that I'm like this 
is so interesting. I can't believe it. And then three minutes later, I realize I've already stopped listening. And it's not because I'm not interested. I'm just distracted. Mm -hmm. I feel really strongly that every word in a book is an author worked really hard. It's like in a movie. I don't want to, I don't ever, ever start a movie partway through. Mm -hmm. I want to watch the entire thing from beginning to end because they worked at Everything they put in, every scene they put in was there for a reason. And the same for a book. All the words are there for a reason. It's, yeah. No, I mean, I can confirm. <laughs> I spent four hours on 1,500 words yesterday. So Right. So an author works really hard and puts every single word in that book for a reason. Or they work really hard to make it sound exactly the way they want. I want to pay attention to it. I don't want to be distracted. I don't mm. want to miss something and then have to rewind it. Or I'm not even sure how audiobooks work. <laughs> you, can <laughs> you can rewind it. <laughs> you can just find where you were before. So I want to have it in front of me and give it what it's due. I, I like that. I, I, I've used uh, audiobooks primarily for classics. I am a person who reads classics and I read them as an undergraduate and developed a serious love for them. But I have sometimes found that they are better when spoken, uh, especially by a good narrator. And sometimes that's because I think that the style is a little overwrought. For example, <laughs> Frankenstein was a struggle for me because I was just like, oh my god, Percy Shelley, get out of here. <laughs> Stop hampering Mary's vibe here. <laughs> yeah, so I listened to the audiobook of that one. And I also tried that with The Count of Monte Cristo. That was harder because I was a little bit trapped with all of the digressions <laughs> that I was not particularly interested in. And it really just kind of highlighted the weird moments where Dumas was like, I hate opera boxes or whatever. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about how much I hate opera boxes. And I'm like, this is not relevant. I don't care. So anyway, I sometimes will adapt. But generally, I'm a print purist yeah. like you. Uh, the only time I will read an ebook is if it's the only format that the book is available in. And a lot of my friends publish that sure. way. So yeah. I don't want to imply that I think there's a problem with either of those those avenues. I think that it's great if that's okay for you. I mm -hmm. just, for me, I know that I don't read well that way. And audiobooks make a lot of sense for people who are on long commutes or whatever. And if you're traveling a lot, then ebooks make a lot of sense. And I know someone who, um, she has severe carpal tunnel in both wrists and can't really hold a book. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot lighter to hold so, an e-reader. Yeah, the one pound e-reader. Yeah, that works for her. Mm -hmm. and that makes total sense to me just for me personally at least at this stage in my life <laughs> print all the way so final question what are you looking forward to in another read-throughs future it's actually a hard question i haven't done a, a formal evaluation but i think we're really on the right trajectory right now on the right path and i think what i what i envision is just sort of more of this discovering more local authors and having more events here and more mm -hmm. of what we've got going on we've just added a new book feature doing a deeper exploration of of what's being published internationally, not just here in Portland, to, to better serve that that shelf. This is the one I don't have a good answer for, I feel <laughs> like, actually. It's definitely a hard question. I think that in the five years Another Read Through has been open, I mean, even, even in just the two years that I've been here, there's been a definite discovery mm -hmm. of what we prioritize and what's important to the store, you know, having the queer section and the local author section and making this uh, an open space for readers of all ages and, and a place for people to revisit their old favorites or discover new ones and not be afraid to look beyond the bestseller lists or the like upcoming season of new books uh, because there are a really absurd number of books that get published every year and you just know that there's 
one out there for everybody if you have the time to sit in one of our very comfortable chairs and look for it. (laughs) What he said. All right. Was there anything else that you wanted to... Read more books, people. Read more books. Another read-through is a queer-owned independent bookstore in Portland, Oregon. Our mission is to keep Portland reading and support queer and local authors. We host many events every month, including author readings, panel discussions, and book clubs. Check us out at anotherreadthrough.com or on North Mississippi Avenue starting every day at 11 a.m. Follow us on Twitter at Another Read or on Instagram at Another Read Through. This episode was produced by me, Cal Spivey. Our theme music is by Zach Enger. Links and book lists are in the episode description. Happy reading!